Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today, since we're just over a month into the NBA season, I thought it would be fun to revisit our hashtag basketball NBA power rankings. So I am here today with one of my fellow rankers in Tyler Metcalf. And Tyler, how are you doing? Doing well, Nick. Happy to be back on. Just looking forward to Thanksgiving. You know, life is good. Even for a Timberwolves fan? Uh, especially for a Timberwolves fan. Look, take a look at your Kings. That was entirely uncalled for and also completely necessary. We're off to a hot start here. Woo! Okay, let's get started <laughs> by talking about a team that everybody loves to talk about, especially Kings fans, the Los Angeles Lakers. They are once again at the top of the power rankings. They currently have the NBA's best record at 15-2, and two, and... LeBron is playing like 25-year-old LeBron on both ends of the floor. Anthony Davis is playing like modern-day Anthony Davis at both ends of the floor. But the thing that has surprised me about this Lakers team so far is that I expected their depth, and in particular their front court depth, to be a serious problem. And it hasn't been. I think really the problem position for the Lakers has been point guard outside of their six foot nine point forward point center whatever you want to call LeBron at this point but it is surprising to me that the Lakers bench has not been as disastrous as I was assuming it would be heading into the season I always thought they were going to be good eventually once you got to the playoffs once you got got later into the season Um, but this is exceeding any expectation I had for them at this point I mean their defense is way better than I thought it would be. Um, their offense, I didn't think they were going to have any shooting, but they've kind of, and they haven't been great from outside, but they've been really good offensively. They're a top seven offense and defense. It's just been really impressive, and they're getting solid contributions out of guys like Dwight Howard that I never thought they would. And LeBron just looks rejuvenated and is trying on both ends of the floor for the first time and a decade and they're they're just a lot of fun and really good right now and way better than I thought they would be. Speaking of a lot of fun and really good right now, the Milwaukee Bucks started the season at two and two and they have gone fourteen and one since then. Giannis Adetokounmpo won the MVP last season and is somehow better again this season. And he just put up a 50-point, 14-rebound, 6-assist, 0-turnover game against what had been the best defense in basketball in the Utah Jazz. And really, it's been no Chris Middleton, no problem for this team so far. I mean, what have you thought about what we've seen from the Bucks, especially given that, you know, one of their all-stars from last season has missed a significant portion of the year? And Giannis is, and he's a freak, and it's absurd what he's doing he just keeps getting better and better people scoffed at him when he said he was only 60 or 70 percent of what he could be and he just continues to improve at both ends of the floor and is just unstoppable it's absurd what what they're able to do with him um and on top of that they're getting really good contributions out of guys like Dante DiVincenzo who you know might take over that starting point guard role um or at the very least, be a pretty solid fill-in for uh, that Malcolm Bragdon production that they lost. Up next, the Los Angeles Clippers at number three. We will talk about them a little bit later on in the podcast, but sort of up top with them, they are currently third in the Western Conference. They do not have the third best overall record in the NBA, but they also just got Paul George back. They've played very limited time with both George and Kawhi Leonard on the floor. But the big difference between the Clippers and the Lakers is outside of that top two for the Lakers, they've been better than I expected, but it's not exactly a star show. Whereas with the Clippers, you have those two wing superstars and just ridiculous depth behind them. So even though they don't have the third best record in the NBA, it's really hard to throw them any further down the rankings than they are. Yeah, and for power rankings, the record isn't the kind of be-all, end-all for me. And when you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the same team, it's pretty freaking impressive. And on top of that, they have four guys averaging at least 19 points a game. 
Um, they're deep. They're well-rounded. Paul George hasn't, you know, m- missed a beat since he's uh, come back from his injury. Lou Williams is a stud off the bench. Montrose Harrell is really controlling the paint and playing well. And once they get Shamit back um, from injury, you know, he's going to continue to add improved outside shooting for them. Um, and they have a top 10 offense and defense, the fifth best net rating. And if they drop a couple games here and there while they're resting guys, so they're healthy for the playoffs, I'm fine with that. It's going to take something pretty drastic for me not to view these guys as the best team in the NBA. Up next, the Denver Nuggets at number four with a 12-3 and record. As absolutely everybody expected heading into the season, they have a slightly below average offense and a top three defense. But the thing that has shocked me the most about this team is that Paul Millsap continues to be maybe the most underrated player of his generation. And if you look at the difference in the Nuggets defense between before Paul Millsap and after Paul Millsap, and then you compare those numbers with some of the numbers from the 2017-2018 season where Millsap missed a lot of time and their defense predictably fell off because of it. It's remarkable to me just how much of a difference he makes for this team. And obviously Nikola Jokic is their MVP, but I think Millsap is a lot more positively impactful to this team than someone who certainly gets a lot more shine on the contract front in Jamal Murray. So Jokic somehow found a way to come into the season even more out of shape than he already was. Um, And he's still, you know, producing at a high level, but he... He looks rough when he's running out there. Um, Paul Millsap has really carried this team on defense, and they're really defending well. And I I, I think a really big addition to this team was Jeremy Grant, who adds a lot of energy, a lot of athleticism, and a lot of defense off the bench for them. Um, And, you know, he doesn't put up a ton of box score numbers, but he clearly has a massive impact for this team on the court. Moving on to the Boston Celtics at number five. They have basically just plugged Kemba Walker into Kyrie Irving's former role on offense and are chugging along on that end of the floor. What has really surprised me is that their defense hasn't cratered without Al Horford. And pretty much the only reason I can think of for why that is, is Marcus Smart. And I'm not sure I really need to say much more than that. Yeah, and it's kind of funny how they plug in Kemba and their numbers are almost the same as they were with Irving with passes per game and possessions per game. All of that stuff is pretty similar, but the guys around him are just playing at a much higher level. Um, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are playing really well, and Marcus Smart is playing out of his mind right now. Um, it, it sucks how many injuries they've kind of had recently because they're really getting rolling there. Um, Hayward, Hayward should come back pretty smoothly from the injury since his, his off offhand. Um, but, and thank God that Kemba injury wasn't something more severe. So once they come back and these guys are just going to keep, I expect them to keep clicking and really challenge the bucks to win the East. At number six, the Dallas Mavericks, who have one of the top three MVP contenders right now in Luka Doncic. I would say it's Giannis, LeBron, and Doncic fighting for MVP with everybody else a couple laps behind. And Luka has gone from top 40, top 50 player to knocking on the door of top 10 and maybe in there pretty comfortably already. I mean... The fact that the Mavericks have the best offense in basketball and Kristaps Porzingis has been pretty disappointing on that end to start the year is astounding to me. And really, it all goes back to Luka. And I don't know if there's enough that can be said about just how ridiculous he's been in the early season. He's he's so impressive. And I said it on draft night. I'll say it again now. I'll say it for the next 20 years. What were the Hawks doing with that trade? I mean, the Mavericks clearly won this. I'm sure Trey Young isn't a bust or whatever, but Luka is a generational player. He's going to be an MVP candidate for a long time. He's a franchise changer, and he's doing that with Dallas. I mean, 
the guys around him aren't really playing that well. Uh, Porzingis still kind of hasn't reached back to where he was in New York. Their third leading scorer is Tim Hardaway Jr. at just 12 points a game. And it's a team full of role players, and Luka is leading them to being the, the, the best offense in the NBA. It, it's absurd what he's doing. Up next, the Utah Jazz at number seven. I mentioned Giannis's ridiculous game earlier on in the Bucks section. Of course, what I didn't mention is that Rudy Gobert didn't play in that game, which made a pretty big difference for this Jazz team. Really, the thing with them is that I just don't know what happened to Mike Conley. And his numbers look a little bit better after they were just impossibly disastrous early on. But he's still only shooting 39% from two-point range. And there's been a lot of talk about how different the pick-and-roll is between Marcus Gasol and Rudy Gobert. And I get that that's a pretty big adjustment in terms of play styles for Mike Conley, but I don't think it explains just the dramatic difference in him between this season and last season. It can't just be that he's not fitting as well with his pick and roll partner because it's been rough for him. It's it's weird because I mean, he's such a vet and no one has a bad thing to say about this guy and he's clearly talented and sees the game sees the floor well and knows the game and has a great feel for the game, but he just can't seem to get it clicking yet. I have full faith that he, that he'll eventually get there. And then the jazz are going to be really scary. Um, but I, I think the bigger story for the jazz right now is how, how important Boyan Bogdanovich has been for them. And he's averaging 21 points a game and shooting 46% from three. And this is a team that kind of really struggled from behind the arc um, or to get, consistent production from behind the arc the last couple of years and just adding that facet to their offense has has really made them um, a much bigger threat in my eyes in the West. At number eight, the Miami Heat currently 12 and four. I was expecting them to be somewhere in the fifth through eighth seed range in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Instead, they're currently tied for the second seed. And more than that, it hasn't just been that Jimmy Butler has absolutely carried them and they've been entirely reliant on him. His numbers are actually down a little bit from what they were certainly in Minnesota. But really what it's been with this team is just that somehow they've managed to scrape the bottom of the G League barrel and get really valuable contributors in Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson. I see the Heat as kind of the the LA Clippers from last year, but with a a true star or a true leader in Jimmy Butler. Um, And he's been playing really well. Just his, he just hasn't shot the ball well, mostly from outside, but I mean, they have seven guys averaging double digits, including undrafted guys like Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson Um, coming into this season. I can guarantee you that very few people knew who those guys were and they're playing over 25 minutes a game and playing really good basketball for these guys. Um, It's just a testament to how good of a coach Eric Spolstra is and how good that culture is at getting the most out of their players. At number nine, the Houston Rockets. Raise your hand if you thought that James Harden would be scoring more points than he did last season with Russell Westbrook as his teammate. I, I hate watching them play. It's awful. It's, oh, it's nauseating. Don't hold back though. Tell us how you actually feel. I yeah, sorry, sorry, Hans. Um, it's it's gross. I hate watching them play. He, what he's doing is incredible. He's averaging thirty eight points and he's only shooting thirty three percent from three. And if he if he shoots literally any better, he's going to average uh, forty points a game, and it's going to be with some of the most awful basketball that you can possibly watch. All right, that, that, that's my rant. I'll get off my soapbox. I'm sorry. And on a much happier note, the <laughs> Philadelphia 76ers star center Joel Embiid just put up a big offer in their last game against the Toronto Raptors. Granted, of course, that doesn't really have any impact on any sort of power ranking. But what has been a bit strange with the Sixers is that I was expecting them to be pretty clearly in the top five on defense and probably competing for the top spot. 
Instead, they've been good on the defensive end, but they haven't been good enough to offset the spacing issues that they have on the offensive end. Granted, this is just talking about the difference between a title contender and a second round out kind of team. But after last season, where they went seven games with the eventual champs, I'm willing to bet that second round out is not going to cut it for this Sixer squad. They're definitely underperforming for where I thought they'd be at this point. Um, I thought their defense was going to be pretty easily the best in the league. Um, but I, I did have concerns about their offense. They just don't really have much shooting on this team. And I think a lot of that goes back to a lot of their draft moves and kind of offseason moves that they've made where they've continued to add really good wing defenders, but no one who can shoot the ball out there. It it I don't like the construction of this team, um, and it, it doesn't help that Tobias Harris is only shooting 30% from three. So they're going to need some of these guys to pick it up. Furkan Korkmaz has been um, pretty good recently, but if they if some of these wings can't start knocking down shots, I'm I'm not sure that uh they make it out of the second round like you mentioned. Up next, the Toronto Raptors at number eleven. It's a bit awkward to talk about them after the Sixers, seeing as they just beat the Sixers in that pretty tough performance from Joel Embiid. This team is really strange to sort of wrap your head around in the sense that they've not played particularly well against top tier competition. All four of their losses are against good teams, and obviously they've beaten up on the weaker teams on their schedule. But ultimately, that is the kind of win profile of a playoff team in terms of, you know, beating up on the teams that you're supposed to beat. So maybe they don't have a ceiling higher than a second round out, but they're still hanging around and they're tied for second right now in the Eastern Conference standings. So I don't know. It's it's hard to evaluate this team beyond the fact that Pascal Siakam is absolutely ridiculous. And I thought these guys were going to suck this year, um, and they have completely proven me wrong. Pascal Siakam is, I, I don't know if he's looking like an MVP candidate or, a, again, the most improved player, um, but I, he's just taken his game to a whole other level yet again. Um, it's really impressive what he's doing, and they're just getting really quality production out of guys like Norman Powell, OG Ananobis playing really well, Terrence Davis and Chris Boucher are playing really well off the bench. And these are just young guys who, you know, really no one took a shot on except this team. Um, They're overperforming for where they should be probably talent wise, but, and you mentioned that they're kind of only beating bad teams, but at the end of the day, those are still games that you got to win. And that's what they're doing. Up next, the Phoenix Suns who are still in the top half of the league and are certainly a team that we will talk more about in a later section but they are currently 8-8. Eight and eight. They've fallen a bit down after their really hot start to the season. But they've also missed DeAndre Ayton for all but the first game of the season. And the weird part about evaluating this Phoenix team is I'm not sure how much worse that made them. It might have actually made them better, just in the sense that Aaron Baines is getting a lot more playing time than he would have. And given that his suspension is starting to run out, only 10 games left on that, it's going to be really interesting to see what Monty Williams does once he actually has Aiton back in the rotation. I'm so happy for Monty Williams. He's really regarded as like one of the best people in the league, and he's proving that he's a really good coach. I and mean, the Suns have a top 10 offense the league average defense and it's impressive to see where they've gone and really the and they their new coaches obviously made an impact but they also added actual adults around Devin Booker and guys who have played the game before and know where they're supposed to be on a basketball court and that really goes a long way uh Devin Booker has had to do less of the uh initiating of the offense um and I, I think that's kind of helped open up and kind of diversify his offensive game. And this is a team that's really impressive and um, a lot better than I thought they would, would be. And 
all the credit in the world goes to Monty Williams, and I'm really happy to see where they're at at this point. Up next, the Indiana Pacers at number 13. They are currently 10-6. and six. They have also played a ridiculously easy schedule so far to start the season, by far the easiest in the league. So I don't really think of them as a 10-6 and six team. I think they're probably closer to a 500 team. But quite frankly, really all they needed to do was just be a 500 team until Victor Oladipo came back and they would be a playoff team. And given what the race for the eighth seed in the East is looking like right now, they could probably fall a pretty decent way below 500 and still be a playoff caliber team once they get Oladipo back in the fold. Yeah, Malcolm Bragdon's earning his money too. This guy's been playing really well for them. And ever since the Miles Turner injury, uh, DeMontis Sabonis has been a beast in the paint for them. Um, and their schedule helps, but they're still winning. And if the more games they can win without Oladipo, the better. Um, I'm fascinated to see how this team and the rotation kind of shakes up once Turner's healthy and Oladipo's healthy and these guys get back into the lineup and guys who have been having a pretty big role start losing minutes. Um, I'm fascinated to see what happens with Sabonis and Turner. uh, And if, uh, one, if one of those guys ends up getting moved up next, the Minnesota Timberwolves currently at nine and eight. Andrew Wiggins has had a resurgent season, and you, as the head proprietor of real estate on Andrew Wiggins Island, are certainly happy about that. Beyond that, this team has had maybe not Warriors-level injuries and issues in terms of the wing rotation, but it's been weird out there. Yeah, it's it's something. Um, I mean... Wiggins Island is flourishing. Tourism is at an all-time high. Still waiting for you know the local population to come back up, but uh, my investments have paid off. Hopefully, this continues, or else I'll, I'm sure I'll eat these words later. Uh, but I, I think the the most impressive, the most uplifting, whatever thing for the Timberwolves has been Ryan Saunders' influence. They're playing a completely different style of offense. They're fourth in the league in three point attempts per game which is wild comparing it to the Thibodeau era. And granted, they're also third last in three-point percentage, but that's because none of their wings can shoot from outside and their seven-foot center is their best shooter. Um, Their rotation has been decimated by injuries and deaths in the family, and they showed a graphic the other night where the Timberwolves have played by far the most minutes of G League players in the league this season, um, which is not good. So hopefully once these get, these guys can get healthy and um, they, they, they can kind of get their rotation back in order because when they're all healthy in there, they look like a pretty good team. Up next, the Brooklyn Nets at number 15, currently 9-8. and eight. Spencer Dinwiddie just won player of the week for his performance in, unsurprisingly, the past week, which has really helped to turn his season around. The early season run for Spencer was just ugly as can be. And the other really encouraging sign for this Nets team is that DeAndre Jordan has only started three games. So the fact that he has been excised from the starting lineup is, I think, clearly a positive for this team's future. And really the question just becomes, can this team defend at all, especially once Kyrie Irving is back in the fold. This is a team that kind of looks like they lost their identity from who they were last year. Um, you know, they didn't, ha- they obviously didn't have any stars or guys that would demand the ball and take over the team last year. I mean, I guess you could say D'Angelo Russell, but that was the first kind of breakout year that he had. Um, and this year they, they just look like a different team and the guys don't, know their role and they don't really want to step on each other's toes so i'm kind of confused by this team but the more they play the better they look um jared allen needs to start and play the vast majority of center minutes because he's an incredible rim protector and just a lot of fun to watch out there and i'm just really hoping lavert can stay healthy after uh he, he comes back from this most recent injury at number 16, the Sacramento Kings, currently 7-9, and nine, but bear in mind this team also started the season 0-5, so 7-9 and nine is really not all that bad. They are 
a completely different team from last year in terms of the way that they play, honestly, on both ends of the floor. Their defense is a lot tighter and more together than it was last year, and the offense has gone from flying up and down the court to one of the slowest paces in the league, which has gotten even slower with De'Aaron Fox out with injury. After the 0-5 start and the Fox injury when they were 3-6, and I kind of thought this would be a lost season, but they've really turned it around in the last few games, and a lot of the credit has to go to fan favorite Rashawn Holmes, and a lot of the remainder of the credit has to go to the defensive play from pretty much everyone on the roster except for Buddy Heald, who more than makes up for it on the other end. Yeah, it's pretty encouraging to see how they've turned it around. Um you know, these last few weeks because it was it was a really ugly start. Um and I agree their defense looks so much better than last year. I, I don't love that they completely slowed down the offense though. I, I thought their offense was really impressive and a lot of fun to watch and really played to their guys' strengths last year when they were flying up and down the court, but maybe that's just a, a factor of having to tighten it up on defense. Um Hopefully, they're, once Fox comes back, they can try and open it up a little more on offense. But the last couple of weeks have been a, a, definitely a, a sign of good things to come. Up next at number 17, the eight-seeded Orlando Magic with a robust 6-10 <laughs> and 10 record, which that sentence right there kind of says all you need to know about the Eastern Conference. God, this team's a tough watch. I mean, one of the worst offenses we've seen in years. They play... Pretty solid defense, but I mean, God, that, that luckily for them, the East is awful this year because they, they they have no business being in the that A spot. I will say, watching Jonathan Isaac on defense is a lot of fun, and he was someone that I was pretty high on heading into that draft, and him getting it together on the offensive end would be really nice because he's okay on that end. You know, he's got a decent jumper, he's slowly developing an off-the-bounce game. Doesn't really have much of a post-up game at all, but that's fine because he weighs like four pounds. But other than that, man, this you're right. This team is just not fun at all to watch. And I think I'm just biased because I really like watching Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, and he's he's improved. He's fun. He's lanky. His arms go on for days. But it's 2019, and their offensive rating is under 103. So... Don't recommend them as a league pass team. The Charlotte Hornets have fallen off quite a bit in the last week and a half, but they still ended up at number 18 on the most recent edition of the Power Rankings. Of course, the fact that they're 6-12 and 12 means they are just barely outside of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, but they have lost their last five games, and a few of those losses have been really ugly. They had a 132-96 loss to Toronto a week and a half ago. And really with this team, I wasn't expecting the Terry Rozier contract to look good. And the sad part is that I think it's actually been better than I expected. But, I mean, he hasn't even been the best point guard on his own team this year. Yeah, I I don't want to ever talk about Terry Rozier again because Devontae Graham is the, the lord and savior for this team. Um I came into this year thinking this team was going to be absolute garbage. They kind of are since they have a bottom seven offense and defense, but they're so much fun to watch. PJ Washington is an awesome rookie right now. Devonte Graham is lighting it up from behind the, behind the arc. Um, they're not going to be good basketball games that you watch, but they're going to be a lot of fun. And for example, just go watch the last minute of that bulls game where they blew a five point lead with, five seconds left um at the at the very least they're going to be a lot of fun and i think james borrego um is getting way more out of these guys which is saying something seeing that they're not that good right now the new orleans pelicans made a dramatic jump to 19th in the most recent edition of the power rankings the thing about this team is that Drew Holiday is finally starting to get back on track after a really tough start to the season. Ultimately, this team's maybe best player, certainly in 
the top three in terms of talent on this team has been out the entire year. And Zion Williamson has really lost a lot of ground in the rookie of the year race to John Morant. But I think that this team could be a fringe playoff contender once Zion is back. The question is just, is a 6-11 and start going to be too much to overcome? Because I don't think Zion vaults them into like the top four or so of the conference. And if they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to need to be that kind of team for the rest of the season once he gets back. This team is just really weird to me. Um, I mean, it's good to see Holiday kind of get back in the swing of things. I think he was trying to cater a little too much to the new guys. Um, their defense is so much worse than I thought it was going to be. Uh, they're the fourth worst in the league right now. I thought they were going to use their youth and athleticism to really hound teams um, on defense, but they really haven't done any of that. I'm not sure how much of that Zion fixes because it seems more of a, a system issue than a talent issue. Um, but Brandon Ingram is playing out of his mind. He's so good. It's really refreshing to see him be confident and play with joy and not be worried about every decision he has to make out there. And he's proving, you know, how good a lot of people thought he was going to be coming out of the draft. And I'm not sure it's sold that uh, he's not the, or he, he very well may be the uh, best player from his draft. Up next, the Oklahoma City Thunder at number 20. This is a really strange team to evaluate because it kind of just feels like they're waiting for December 15th. And then after that, once they can start trading people, they're going to be an entirely different team almost immediately. I'm willing to bet that Danilo Gallinari is gone long before the trade deadline. I think it's going to be more a December, January type of trade deal for him. And he's still a really valuable offensive player. The other player to watch, I think, for them is Dennis Schroeder. He's not having a particularly great year, and his value was never really all that high to begin with, given that his contract is pretty pricey for a backup point guard. But I don't think they can move Chris Paul, and they just need to clear as much time as possible and as many touches as possible for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah, and Schroeder's shooting sub 30% from three and point guards that can't shoot at all from outside. Not a whole lot of demand for them. Uh, I think Gallinari's going to fetch a pretty solid price for them. Um, and when you look at how like decimated the trailblazers are, for example, um, I, I think he'd be a great fit there, but I, I agree. And this just feels like a team that's going to look completely different in a couple months not because of improvement, but just because they offload guys and look to rebuild and try and get try and get picks. Um, it'll be fascinating to see if they try and trade Chris Paul for fifty cents on the dollar. Um, but Shea is an absolute stud. Uh, I've been really impressed seeing him be an effective off ball guard too. I, I thought there was going to be some issues with him being a young young point guard and Chris Paul eating into his minutes, but uh, Alex. Or Shea's kind of proven that he can play in that off-ball role as well, which is a facet to his game I, I didn't really think he had yet. Up next, the San Antonio Spurs at number 21. And it's really hard to put the Spurs outside of the top 20 just because they're the Spurs. I certainly didn't do that this past ranking, although got about as close as I could at 19 to that. This team just can't stop it anybody their defense is 27th in the league at the moment and that's after having fallen off from not great but not that terrible to start the season and I think that's the part of DeMar DeRozan's game that doesn't get talked about enough because people complain a lot about his mid-range proficiency and mid-range tendencies but Ultimately, he's shooting 53% for the floor. He's still a useful offensive player. The problem is the Spurs just do not have the depth to cover him on the defensive end at this point. And I would hope that they can find a trade for him sometime soon because I just don't think this is a workable marriage of player and team. Honestly, maybe they can ship him to Orlando for some defensive pieces. I think that would be a trade that could actually help both teams. And 
I'm struggling to find another trade partner that makes sense for the other side of the DeMar DeRozan deal. I thought or once the rankings came out and we kind of saw where all of us put put all the teams, I, I was really fascinated by this one because they were as high as 17, and I was by far the lowest on them at 26. I mean, they just can't defend anyone. Um, I am completely out on DeMar DeRozan at this point. Um, sure, he's a solid mid-range shooter. Um, he also hasn't made a three since December 26 of 2018. Uh, ben Simmons has made more threes than he has in the past 330 days. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge has lost a step or five on defense. Um, they're, they're young point guards. They're really not even playing together with Derek White and uh, DeJounte Murray, who I think are their future. I, I just don't get what's going on with this team. They're they're stuck in basketball from a different age, and they're just not defending anyone. And if if things continue like this, they're they're going to miss the playoffs pretty easily. Up next, the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant, John Morant, John Morant, and John Morant. Yeah, I, I think I think that covered it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I mean, this team's got, you know, some other fun pieces. Brandon Clark has proven what both of us said pretty much immediately after the draft, which is Brandon Clark was the steal of this draft. Yep. And that's looking like a pretty good prediction at the moment. He's so good. Why I don't get why he fell to the twenties. What I mean, what why did guys like Romeo Langford or Cam Reddish go ahead of this guy all he does is what he's good at which is rebound and score around the rim and play defense and he does it at a super high level uh a little disappointed in jaron jackson so far hopefully he turns it around he needs to stop fouling five times a minute um but i am buying any and all available um stock and i i think this team has a lot of young pieces that are, are, are going to be pretty pretty good going forward at number 23 overall, the Chicago Bulls, fresh off that last second win you mentioned over the Charlotte Hornets, and video taken immediately after that shot showed Bulls players literally running away from Jim Boylan as opposed to choosing to celebrate with him. So as always, things are going just great in Chicago. I have no idea why Jim Boylan was awarded the head coaching job in the first place, and he's done nothing to prove that he's a competent NBA head coach and he continues to prove that he's not. I mean, Zach Levine and him clearly do not get along. Um, even in a, the Zach Lowe's podcast from a couple of weeks ago when he interviewed him, Zach wasn't, didn't come off as a glowing praise for Boylan. And, you know, those things are as usually as cookie cutter as they get. Uh, Zach Levine was really impressive that game with 13 threes. Um, I still don't think he's kind of a franchise cornerstone. I think he's too inconsistent. Uh, shout out to my boy, Kobe White, who's still a stud. Um, and Wendell Carter's playing really well for them recently. Um, well, maybe really well is a stretch, but he's showing you know flashes of being a really solid power forward for them. Up next at number 24, the Portland Trailblazers, How the Mighty Have Fallen. Damian Lillard was absolutely supernova scorching hot to start the season, and he's cooled off a little bit to still really, really, really good, but not absurd. And him going from absurd to just normal all-NBA guard level has taken this team from fringe 500 team to... I mean, they're at 6-12 and 12 right now, and they just signed Carmelo Anthony off the street to be their starting power forward, and he's actually been significantly better than their other options at power forward, even though he's been pretty inefficient on offense up until his last game and atrocious on defense. That still, unfortunately, makes him a better choice than Mario Hazonia or Anthony Tolliver, and it's surprising to me just how much of a difference Zach Collins's absence has made to this team because they just have nothing behind him at the four. This team's an absolute dumpster fire and, you know, shocker, but where Hassan Whiteside goes, good basketball does not follow. Um, and I, I feel bad for Damian Lillard. He's a stud. I hope he gets healthy soon, I guess. Um, more so for our sakes than his. 
but and the criticism with this team for the last few years is that they don't have any quality wings. And what did they do this offseason? They got rid of their two best wings and Aminu and Harkless. Um, and they replaced them with Hizonia and Anthony Tolliver, who I don't think has ever actually passed a basketball. He only shoots. Um, but it's, it's really encouraging to see how well Zach Collins was playing and how well uh, or how big of an impact he was having. And just that, that injury is a real bummer. Um, so I'm hoping he can come back. Anthony Simons looks solid, but th- this team doesn't really have a clear path out of uh, the basement here unless they make a, a pretty big trade. Up next, the five and nine Washington Wizards. They managed to pass the Warriors for the worst defensive rating in the league. And they also have the number two offensive rating in the league, which makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Isaiah Thomas reviving his career after a couple of pretty depressing years is incredibly gratifying to me as Isaiah Thomas's number one fan who has never been a fan of the Boston Celtics. But it astounds me that this team is able to score at even a league average level, much less the number two offense in the NBA so far. I have absolutely no idea what to do with this team. I They should not be a good team. Um, and many nights they aren't, but they're just scoring a ton of points. And Bradley Beal is legit. Um, and I mean, they have what one, two, three, four, five, six guys scoring in double digits right now, including Mo Wagner, who's shooting 48% from three right now. Um, it's really impressive as a team they're shooting 38% from three I have no idea what's going on with them I I feel like it's really rare that we see a team at two ends of the spectrum based on their offense and defense up next the five and 12 Cleveland Cavaliers Darius Garland has been really really disappointing to start the season on the opposite side Kevin Love looks like he's a lot healthier than he's been in the last couple of years and someone who I think is worthy of a sort of overpay trade from a contender that has a need at power forward or center. And Tristan Thompson's having a really solid year as well. He's somehow making three pointers, which is strange. And by three pointers, I mean exactly three of them. I just don't know what to do with this team in the sense that I think they're just a run-of-the-mill bad team unless Darius Garland can find some of the magic that people were hoping for when they selected him fifth overall. Yeah, and th- th- this is just a really poorly constructed roster. There's really not much here to work with. Um, I-, I thought the pick and the fit was really weird um, with Garland and Sexton. Um, when they made the draft pick, um, the best thing out of it is what Cleveland fans are calling their backcourt. I'll let listeners look up that one on their own. Um, but Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson have been playing really well. That's kind of the bright spot for them. Um, and, you know, on top of that, they don't have a whole lot of talent, but they do look like they're a team that's pretty well prepared um, night in and night out, which is a, a, a really positive testament to how good of a coach John Beeline is. So if they're willing to give him some leash, um, I, I, I think that he could end up, you know, given a couple of years and kind of rebuilding this roster. I, I think that they kind of have the, the bare bones foundation to, to start building something up into a playoff contender, you know, three, four or five years from now. At 27, the Detroit Pistons currently at 6-11 and 11 after a much-needed win over the Orlando Magic. Andre Drummond has been really, really good. Blake Griffin has barely played and has looked hurt even in the limited minutes that he has played. And outside of those two guys, there really isn't all that much on this team. Their guard rotation is one of the weaker guard rotations in the league. And honestly, I think that would be the case even if Reggie Jackson hadn't missed basically the entire season so far with a back injury. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that Richard Jackson is not a good basketball player and that they're still better without him. Um, 
yeah, and this team just kind of falls into that same bucket as the Magic, where it's just really a team that you don't want to watch, and there's not a whole lot going on with them. Derrick Rose is doing inefficient Derrick Rose things. Luke Kennard has looked more promising this year. Um, you know, still not worthy of being taken over Donovan Mitchell by any means, but he's looked better, and Andre Drummond's had, had another good statistical year. But they, they're just bad. They're not a good team, and there really isn't anything that suggests that they'll be anything other than that um, in the foreseeable future. At 28, the Atlanta Hawks, who are in the midst of a really troubling tailspin, and this team's defense is about as bad as I expected it to be. In fact, to be honest, the fact that they're currently 28th in defensive rating is maybe better than I expected, given that I didn't expect the two teams behind them to be the two teams behind them. I was surprised at how much lower I was on the Hawks than everyone else in the first edition of these power rankings. And I don't really feel vindicated because John Collins has missed almost the entire season with that suspension. But this team has nothing on the defensive end, especially on the interior. It's brutal. I mean, that John, John Collins suspension was a real bummer. Um, Kevin Herter being hurt hasn't helped at all um not necessarily that he was a good defender but he's still a solid player especially on offense and trey young's kind of having to do everything for this team on offense um and it's almost to a fault because he's almost doing too much a lot of the times and forcing shots and forcing passes deandre hunter has been kind of the lone bright spot for them on defense but he's a rookie and you know there's only so much a rookie wing can do and their defense is awful. And when you're starting Jabari Parker at power forward, there's not much else you can expect. At number 29, the New York Knicks who have had an incredibly impressive start to the season because they are somehow not 30th. (laughs) Speak for yourself. Fair enough. (laughs) I mean, it's 2019 and they have 24 power forwards on the roster and this is a horrible team. It's a horrible front office and they're having press conferences about thinking about firing their coach um you know there's no shooting on this team there's no flow there's it's awful it's a bunch of guys on one and two year contracts who aren't going to be the future of the team rj barrett's looked solid not great but solid um so hopefully he continues to improve and they have something going forward they're just they're just a bad team And closing things out, at number 30, the Golden State Warriors. They are currently 3-15, and and their three wins are against the 6-11 New Orleans Pelicans, the 6-12 Portland Trailblazers, and the 5-11 Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, it honestly feels kind of unfair to rank this team, because basically half of their active roster is out with injury, and the remaining guys are pretty much G League players, Eric Pascal and Glenn Robinson, and Draymond Green when he's been healthy, which has been not that often, and they're certainly going to err on the side of holding him out way more than they should. And Jordan Poole. Let's talk about Jordan Poole, the best draft pick of last year's draft. Oh, do we have to? I mean, this guy, I, this guy wouldn't have been in my top 100 if I would have expanded it out that far. I was shocked when they took him. He's awful. He, I've seen, I've watched for some reason too many Warriors games, and I've seen him make one jump shot. Um, he, he's just a, he's shooting twenty four percent from three, and he's supposed to be the scoring guard for them. And he looks scared out there, and his shots all over the place. He's turning the ball over. Um, I'm not sure what that he knows what defense is. But hey, Eric Pascal has been kind of fun, um, and that kind of Draymond Green esque uh, play, a little more offense, a little less defense, but kind of lone bright spot. And it's really gonna suck for the rest of this league when they get the number one pick um, and bring back Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green next year. I genuinely wonder if 
Poole had been picked at 41 and Pascal had been picked at 28, I genuinely wonder if Poole would still be on the Warriors roster. I, I don't think he would have made it through through training camp because I mean, he was that first-round pick, so he got that guaranteed contract. Um, and both those guys clearly should have been, been flipped. All right, that is all 30 teams. So before we wrap up, I wanted to talk briefly about some teams that have been really, really hard to rank this season. And that's for a bunch of different reasons, which we are about to get into. Tyler and I each picked three teams that we've really struggled to rank so far this year. So Tyler, let's open up with your number one squad in terms of difficulty to rank the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, so I, I, I was optimistic about this team. I wasn't as high as others thinking that there would be a playoff team, but I thought there would be better than this, and maybe some of it has to do with the missing Zion, which is a pretty big piece, obviously, from their rotation. But I, I thought their offensive and defensive efficiencies would have almost been flip-flopped. Um, I, I just don't get why they're so bad on defense, and I thought their their youth and their athleticism and you know, all of that would have made them a lot better on defense and their, their offense has kind of really started to, to click now, now that they're up to, I believe it's the 10th best in the league. Um, and a lot of that is because of Brandon Ingram, but they, they just feel weird and I can never tell or can, I always struggle to figure out um, what end of the spectrum in that middle clump of teams to put them at. I think that Derek Favors' health struggles so far to start this year have been a really big factor in that defensive drop-off. He was the best big man at rim protector in the NBA. I think it was last year. It might have been the year before. But he's someone that certainly could really lift that defense up out of the doldrums. But he's just been in and out of the lineup and hasn't really looked like himself even in the games he has been on the court. So you're saying Jaleel Okafor is not the same quality defender? Eh, slightly different. Just a touch. All right. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And I, I guess we ha- we have started to see more Jackson Hayes, um, who's a little erratic in how he plays. He's looking, he kind of needs to rein it in a little bit. But he's kind of proving to be a solid rim protector. So if he can kind of figure stuff out and slow the game down for himself, um, that that. that could end up being a a nice backup center option once Favors hopefully gets healthy soon. The team that I have struggled to rank the most so far this season has been the Phoenix Suns. And that's probably because pretty much no one expected them to be even 8-8 going into the season. And even 8-8 is a drop-off from where they were at 7-4, I don't know. This team, I just didn't think would be as bad as they were last year, but I didn't think they would be a 30-win team. And at this point, they're almost halfway to their win total from all of last season. Yeah, so so how much of this shock or whatever um, is purely based off of their last five years and you're just assuming they would be bad? I mean, that's got to play a part when your owner is inviting literal goats into the office of your general manager. <laughs> that's not a great sign in terms of, you know, functionality of your team's front office. Not great. And they brought in James Jones, who had just retired from being an active player before they brought him on board. And, you know, a year and a half later, he's leading their front office. I just expected incompetence and dumpster fires from the Phoenix Suns until the owner sold the team, much like what I expect out of the New York Knicks. But I guess in their defense, the Suns have had some years where they've been competent in spite of Robert Sarver. And it looks like this year is going to be one of those years. And I guess I just didn't understand how much of a difference Aaron Baines would make. I did expect Ricky Rubio to make this big of a difference because he's a real point guard, which is something this team did not have at all last year. But, I mean, I was expecting that to be a jump from, you know, the high teens into the high 20s, not a 500 team, which is where they are right now. And a lot of people have compared them to last year's Kings in that they were a team that was expected to be 
pretty brutal that actually ended up being pretty close to 500 and competitive in the playoff race. And I see that to a certain extent, but I think also part of it is just that a bunch of guys on this team are playing the best basketball of their lives right now. And I'm not sure if that continues. Yeah, I, I, I agree to, to a point. Um, I, I, I'm also surprised, but I, I think it's a real testament to what just adding veterans and adults to a basketball team can do. Um, I mean, Devin Booker is just such a better player because he's surrounded by guys who know how to play basketball and not, teenagers like dragon bender and marquise chris who look like a deer in headlights and he has a coach that's empowering him and installing systems so i don't think that they're gonna be you know the ninth best offense and the 13th best defense for the entire year i expect some of that to fall off um you know frank kaminsky's playing the best basketball of his life but at the same time they're bringing back deandre ayton and a dozen games. So I, I expect them to end up being in the playoff hunt. Um, I'm not sure they quite get there, but I, I think they're a legit, you know, solid team at this point. The next confusing team that I had was the Indiana Pacers. I just don't buy that 10 and six record at all. They've played an absolute cupcake of a schedule, but it's hard to rank them outside of the top half when they are up there in terms of record and it's also hard to evaluate this team in the sense that they're clearly going to be better in terms of raw talent in January, February when Oladipo gets back. So on the one hand, you know, I don't think a 10 and six kind of pace is really that wrong for what this team is at full strength, but they're not at full strength right now. They're missing their star player and they've just, put up a great record against a terrible slate of teams that they've played so far. And, you know, you can't change who you play in that sense, but it's also really hard to get a good read on what this team actually is because they've played basement level teams. Yeah. I, I, I I get what you're saying with them. They're, they're just an odd team and it, it just doesn't feel like this is who their team is or will be just because they're missing two major pieces in Oladipo and Turner and Turner and Sabonis really weren't playing all that well together at the beginning of the season. So I'm really fascinated to see where that relate or that dynamic goes. Once Turner comes back, um, I feel like they got to trade one of those guys um, just to add something else to their roster because and try and fill that scoring wing position, um, but I, I, they they just don't feel like a ten and six team, and I, I feel like they're going to end up closer to the eight seed than the four seed. Your number two team was the Washington Wizards, and we cover this a bit in the section on the Wizards. But how do you evaluate a team that's the second best offensive basketball and the worst defense? Yeah, I, I have absolutely no idea. They're bewildering they bradley beal's awesome i guess so there there's one point in their favor uh no one on this team plays defense not great scott brooks is their coach probably negative column i guess but um it, it's just weird I and mean, this team was supposed to be awful they weren't supposed to have any pieces they were supposed to be a dumping ground for player for salary and pl- fill in players for to make trades work which they kind of were, and they're making the most out of these guys like Mo, Mo Wagner, um, who's playing really well for them right now. I don't know how much of this offensive success is sustainable. I expect a lot of their shooting to kind of fall off pretty drastically. But, hey, if they can keep scoring a ton of points and, you know, it'll, it'll win them at least a handful of games. I will say I have never been that high on Rui Hachimura as a prospect, but I was expecting him in particular to have a really, really, really rough rookie year. And instead, he's been very solid on the offensive end. And I mean, he certainly hasn't been the worst defender on this team. (laughs) And I think the thing with Hachimura is that he's really only taking the shots that he's good at right now, which as someone who's 
been a volume scorer for basically the entirety of his time as a basketball player, it is really interesting to see him sort of fitting in and picking his spots so seamlessly on this team. And who knows, maybe he's going to fall off because shooting 50% from the floor when you basically only shoot mid-range jumpers is not exactly all that sustainable. But I have to admit, I was expecting him to be a lot worse than he's been, and I'm very happy to be wrong on him so far. Yeah, he's been, you know, a a nice player. He's not great. He's not bad. And, you know, a lot of the time in that mid-first round, that's kind of all you're looking for is just not someone who's going to suck. And getting guys who don't completely suck on your team is a good thing. Who is your last one? So my last team was the San Antonio Spurs. And honestly, I think part of that is just that I can't really wrap my head around the eternal monolith of the Spurs being this terrible. (laughs) But unlike in previous years where they've struggled out of the gate, there's not really a light at the end of the tunnel for this team. I mean, their problem is that their defense is just god-awful. But in the past when their defense has been god-awful, it's been more just a run of a few bad games, but they have the personnel to make up for it. This team just doesn't have the personnel. And ultimately, given that they're seventh in offensive rating right now and still this bad, I mean, it's hard to expect their offense to be much better than that. And their defense is not as surprising as I think it would have to be for me to have much hope about their future. But I just... I can't write them off. I just can't write them off yet. Maybe two weeks from now, three weeks from now, I'll finally be willing to do it. But, I mean, there's 22 years of history going against me at this point. Yeah, it's it's weird. And it just feels wrong that they won't be in the playoffs. It feels wrong that they're bad. Um, and just, I think DeMar DeRozan is not that good of a player anymore or at least for a good team for a contender uh lamarcus aldridge has lost a lot on defense and he's still knocking down mid-range jumpers like a fiend but you know that that only gets you so far um i don't get what they're doing with their backcourt i love dejounte murray i think he's an awesome defender something kind of looks like it's up with Derek White. He just looks off compared to what he did last year. And I was excited to kind of see both those guys play in the backcourt together at the same time. Uh, But they've only played seven minutes all year together, which I think is just super weird. Um, And they're both pretty solid defenders and could help that team out and defend a heck of a lot better than Patty Mills can. Um but the, this obsession with not abandoning the mid-range and not really seeming to want to change and, and adapt is just weird and seems anti-Spurs. Um, it, it's just a weird vibe around that team, and it's not a good one. And your last team, which is also a team that I have struggled to rank so far this season, the Los Angeles Clippers. And I think... That struggle for me has been that I think the Clippers are the pretty clear title favorites, and I haven't really seen anything to dissuade me from that so far, but their early season just has not been anywhere near as impressive as the early season from their staple Center co-tenants, and it's hard to at least in my mind, keep putting the Clippers at number one overall when their play so far this season hasn't really been number one overall in the NBA. But that's almost entirely because one of their two best players just got back from injury and their best player, it looks like, is going to be missing back-to-backs and significant numbers of games for the rest of his career at this point. So I still think the Clippers are the title favorites. I still think they're, on paper, the best team in basketball, but they just have not played up to number one team in the NBA level, in my mind, so far this year. Yeah, so it's it's weird to have them as one of the most confusing teams for me since I've had them at number one every week. Um, But I, I almost feel wrong about it. I don't know. I, I'm 
I'm confused as how I feel about it because I don't see anyone as a better team than them right now. I get that they haven't won all their games. I get that the Lakers and the Bucks have won more games. And I don't know. I, it's just more than a record for me for this team. Um, and that's kind of, it's really the only team that I view that way, you know, for when it comes to a big disparity in wins. They're just so well-rounded. They have a bit of everything. They have two star wings. They have a back. Uh, they have a guard off the bench who can score thirty in a blink of an eye. They have a point guard who can defend anyone on the floor. Um, they have two big men who can control the paint. They have wings who will just do their job. They're just a really impressive team to me, and I get that you know they're going to rest guys and they're going to lose games that they shouldn't lose and you know not necessarily show up every night but just when it comes to viewing who is the best team in the NBA I just they're they're just the drug I I cannot quit at this point and I I just see unless Kawhi has a devastating injury or Paul George re-aggravates something and is out for an extended period of time and they lose some of these guys I just don't see any of that changing for me and i'm not sure if that's kind of the wrong way to go about it all right anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up here uh i don't think so i I think we kind of covered everyone all right well he is tyler metcalf you can find his work on the hashtag basketball website including in our weekly power rankings you can find him on twitter at t metcalf one one t m e t c a l f one one you can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, and you can also find my written work on the hashtag basketball website. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.